This episode is brought to you by Progressive, where drivers who save by switching save nearly $750 on average. Plus, auto customers qualify for an average of seven discounts. Quote now at Progressive.com to see if you could save. Progressive Casualty Insurance and Company and Affiliates. National average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. Whether you're making the same breakfast that you have every day or baking a cake for an extra special day, eggs are a staple in our diets. Eggland's best eggs are nutritionally superior to ordinary eggs, containing more vitamins and 25% less saturated fat. Not only are they better for you, but Eggland's best eggs taste better too. There's a reason that they're America's number one eggs. Visit egglandsbest.com for additional information and delicious recipes. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one McCrispie, so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. The year is 1998, and Paul, I will pay you $3,000 for that goldfish. The movie, Out of Sight. everyone and welcome to Unspooled. I am Paul Shear. I am a professional movie lover joined by me, Amy Nicholson, a professional movie critic. La-di-da. I even have a couple cards. Amy, I can't tell you what movie it was, but I pulled up one of your reviews the other day and read it to my wife, June, because you and her had a similar feeling about a film and she was dying laughing. And I just have to always say, you capture criticism of certain films in such a way that no one else is hitting the nail exactly on the head like you do. And I just I just wanted you to know that when we were driving home, uh, I read that to her and she was cackling the whole ride home. That warms my cold little critical heart so much. I'm going to take a guess based on your movie-going habits, and say it was my review of The Beekeeper in The New York Times? Hmm, interesting. We'll never know. Um, (laughs) Now, uh, Amy, I I imagine if you were to write a review for Out of Sight, you would have been in the camp that loved this movie. I mean, this is a big movie because not only does it announce really like a new chapter in George Clooney's career, but it's about the rebirth of Soderbergh. And you are dare I say, a part of the reason why this movie got out in the, the public. Not not then, but you are a part of the Critics Association, which made this the best film of the year, right? Oh, yes. Although I definitely was not in that group at the time. Although I know a lot of the people who were, so I should thank them all. I think what I love about this movie, and we'll talk about this in the podcast, is the adept hand of Soderbergh from casting to production design to really kind of finding the perfect Elmore Leonard tone. We have Jackie Brown, we have Get Shorty, uh, to name a few of other films that were coming out around this time. But this, I feel like if you're an Elmore Leonard fan, you might say this might be the best Elmore Leonard adaptation as far as capturing tone. And we're going to get into why that might be. And that is a huge statement, actually, because 
I think you could go to a video store if you can find one and throw a rock and hit an Elmore Leonard adaptation. I mean, this is a man who has been done a lot because he writes in a way that I think kind of feels like a screenplay. Like, terse, terse, terse. Dialogue, dialogue, dialogue. Here are my characters. Go. You fill in the rest with with what you're imagining in your head. And I think we are talking about, you know, a canvas where you can just let actors do these amazing performances. I mean, everybody in this movie brings it, will break down all of these people. I mean, there's a world in which Don Cheadle is not even in this movie. All in all, one of these movies that like, I haven't watched in a, in a beat, but oh, I didn't want it to end. I actually stopped it at one point and be like, I just want to like enjoy this just for a second more, just like live in it before it goes away. Wait, you added a freeze frame to the movie that's all about freeze frames? <laughs> <laughs> I did. I mean, and then I just did a little like, Techno big beat uh, trap music there to just a boom, 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 boom. Oh my God. I went to the bathroom. I mean, the soundtrack is so cool. I want you to do like the David Holmes challenge. Just like put on the soundtrack to this as you're making coffee. Put on the soundtrack to oh, this. That's as you're, what like, I did in my life. The cat box. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I had that all the time. That was, I love it. It's a great soundtrack. Get that soundtrack. Uh, all right, Amy. You know what? I think, uh, like you said, it's going to cost you extra if you want me to unspool it. The year is 1988, and George Clooney is realizing he's got to wise up. He's 37. He's been trying to become a movie star for 20 years. He did movies like Grizzly 2, The Revenge, and Combat Academy, and Return to Horror High, and Return of the Killer Tomatoes. He was on Facts of Life and Roseanne and a whole bunch of day player stuff that hadn't gotten him anywhere until really, really recently when the TV show ER finally, finally made him an overnight sensation. Now he's suddenly Batman in a Batman film, and that is a major disaster. George Clooney has spent his whole career saying yes to everything. He's ever had the luxury to pick and choose his parts. Now, if he's going to do this movie star thing for real... He's got to think smarter. And he's not just going to be another flash in the pan, another pet rock, another fidget spinner, or another, hey, what happened to that guy? Steven Soderbergh is in the exact same boat. Ten years ago, his tiny little indie Sex, Lies, and Videotape made him the coolest young director in town. He was the youngest director who ever won the Palme d'Or at Cannes. He's credited with making the Sundance Film Festival matter. Actually matter. And the critical reviews for everything he's done since Sex, Lies, and Videotape... They have fallen somewhere between, bless his heart, he tried, and what the hell is this pretentious, incomprehensible mess? Meanwhile, the young genius is getting a little older, and he's getting blown out of the box office water by other new young geniuses like Quentin Tarantino and Paul Thomas Anderson. One more flop, and Steven Soderbergh, he might go down as a one-hit prodigy. Now, Clooney gets the out-of-sight script, and at first thinks, well, this is the kind of movie I should be making, because... This is the kind of movie I want to watch myself. It's based on a new book by Elmore Leonard about a bank robber named Jack and a federal marshal named Karen who have this real romantic connection when she's not trying to arrest him. Now, the script is written by Scott Frank, who just adapted another Elmore Leonard book called Get Shorty, and Tarantino is doing an Elmore Leonard adaptation too. So when Soderbergh gets a script with Clooney already attached, he says no. And then he changes his mind and says yes. For Karen, he casts Jennifer Lopez, the suddenly tabloid-famous star of Selena and Mi Familia and Anaconda, 
and he fills out the rest of the cast with a lot of people who are starting to blow up. I mean, really big. We have Boogie Nights' Don Cheadle, Louis Guzman, and Pulp Fiction's Ving Rhames. Out of Sight is released on June 26, 1998. It cost $48 million. It made $37 million. Oh dear. But the people who did see the movie loved it. It gets Oscar noms for Best Adapted Screenplay and Best Editing, and it wins outright the National Society of Film Critics Awards for Best Film, Best Director, and Best Screenplay. Shout out to the National Society of Film Critics. I'm a member. We just hosted our last meeting here at my house, and everybody ate breakfast tacos. Out of Sight does actually rescue, or in Lopez's case, officially launch everybody's career. And then Clooney and Soderbergh go on to form a production company that in the next couple of years is going to push to make Christopher Nolan's Insomnia, Todd Haynes's Far From Heaven. It is safe to say that the film landscape as we know it today might look very, very different without this pivotal movie. So what was in the zeitgeist that June of 1998? I am so excited about this one. The number one song in the charts was this absolute banger from Brandy and Monica, The Boy Is Mine. Now, The Boy Is Mine was one of the very first hits for the pop producer Rodney Jerkins. And with his new success right after this, Rodney is going to produce the first single from the first album by Jennifer Lopez, If You Had My Love. Do you remember this video? It's like cyberpunkish where all these people are watching yes, her on a webcam. I do. Yeah. Yes, it's yes. like Jennifer Lopez online. Oh, let's listen. love that song, but some critics are not impressed. The LA Times says that it sounds like, quote, a Brandy or Monica reject because they are by the same guy. And here is how similar they are. This is The Boy Is Mine, layered over If You Only Had My Love. You're going to hear the voices of Brandy Monica, the music of the Jennifer Lopez hit. Uncanny. It's kind of funny. Um, but you know what? Wow. Who cares what critics say? The song goes number one exactly one year after Out of Sight comes out, and it stays number one for five weeks, thus officially incarnating Jennifer Lopez as an actor and a pop star and a pop culture force who has never gone. Oh, Paul, I'm going to do it. I'm going to say it. Out of sight. Wow. I love <laughs> that you got there. I love that you got there. A.B., do you remember seeing this movie in the theater or did you see it on home video? I saw it on home video. Did you see okay. it in the theater? I saw it in the theater. Ooh. And I loved this movie. I love this movie so much. I bought the soundtrack and I wanted to talk to people about this movie and no one saw this movie. <gasps> How frustrating. They didn't even have podcasts then. You couldn't say anything to anybody. I know. I felt very much like you have to see it. Like there's... A handful of movies in my life that I felt like I needed to show people. Galaxy Quest was one of them, and Out of Sight was another one. And I always think about, why did this movie fail at the box office? Obviously, it didn't fail because it works. But what didn't bring people 
to see it. You have Jennifer Lopez, you have George Clooney. And I'm realizing that part of that is they are who they are because of this movie in a way. Like, yes, people love George Clooney, but he failed as Batman. Jennifer Lopez is like, okay, sure, but not like they're not the mega stars that they are. So I think that this movie would have opened big if it was a couple years later. In some Ouroboros inception way, this movie could have opened for this movie itself yes. or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. Because it's like, you're right. It's like that moment where they're both kind of changing what people think of them. You know, like people yeah. aren't sure if they want to let them do an out of sight kind of movie. It makes me think of when Justin Timberlake had his first album and I kept telling people how good his first album was and everybody oh, yeah. was like, what are you talking about? And everybody made fun of me. There are things that need you to stick up for them, even if they seem like they're done by superstars or wannabe superstars in the case of like how everybody thought about them who are sort of at risk of embarrassing themselves. Honestly, like even Soderbergh, when he told people his next movie was with George Clooney, people were like, are you selling out? You're totally selling out. Well, what's interesting about this movie and, and even watching it, like watching that Universal logo come up on a Soderbergh movie, I was like, oh, wow, this is like this is like a big movie. This is a a studio movie. And it feels to me like an attempt to make a studio movie. Now, I know that like Get Shorty was a giant hit and that's an Elmore Leonard book. And I feel like there's a real like goofiness to that film. It felt like a sketch movie or something like that, you know, and I, I, don't, I haven't watched yeah. it in years, but I remember it was, it's fun. It's just a fun movie. But we have to also remember that Jackie Brown was kind of considered a flop as well. Like these movies share similar DNA, that being Elmore Leonard. But I also just was wondering, it's 1998. Do we not want to see movies like this? Like this is a very different style that I think has paid off in the long haul, like Jackie Brown and Out of Sight. They feel contemporary to this moment because I feel like they weren't really 90s movies, right? These feel like they are fully realized films that don't live in that time, character-driven pieces where everyone shines in a way. And there's like a seedy underbelly. There's a, a subtlety to it all, you know? And I think that when you read the review of this movie out of sight in EW, they're like, we love this movie. It's not as crazy as Get Shorty and it's not as controlled as Jackie Brown. It kind of finds the perfect Elmore Leonard tone, which I thought was interesting because like, I think in many ways, Soderbergh, that is kind of his tone. And what I've read of Elmore Leonard in my time, it's a similar thing. It's not overtly pushing. It's just letting people kind of be. Yeah, I haven't read a ton of Elmore Leonard's modern crime stuff, but I've read a ton of his Western short stories. That was the thing oh, wow. that me and my grandmother, my mama Sita, that uh, we really had like in common, you know, the stuff that would turn into like 310 for Yuma, all right. of those. And they're like some of the best written short stories on the planet. It's, I mean, it's weird this moment, right? Because like kind of what you're describing is this new generation of directors rising up and making kind of old-fashioned films with a new-fashioned style. At least I feel like that's what's happening here with Soderbergh, doing these kind of like freeze frames that are sort of new 90s, but a little bit also throwback like 60s art house. Like it happened one night, but if you made it, it happened one night in the 90s, right? Yeah. It's got that screwball romantic energy sort of, which I think Elmore Leonard was a little bit weird about. He's like, my ending is a lot sadder. My movie is more about two people who can't get together. But in that, it, it is the screwball ending. It is kind of like the 90s version of a screwball movie. 
Well, like it gives you a little bit of hope. Like what I like about this movie and the way it ends is Karen Cisco is a law enforcement agent. She does her job. She's not taken like she's a very strong character. She does her job and it gives you like a little bit of a cherry on top at the end. You know, I mean, is there any world where she could ever be with this guy? Like even if he escaped, what is that? You know, maybe she just doesn't want him to be in jail forever. Who knows? But I think that they, they end her really strong and they don't allude to the fact that they're going to be together forever and they're going to run off and she's going to like leave her job behind. But at least, you know, maybe they'll uh, have a couple more one night stands as their uh, relationship progresses, you know. But but I mean, to that kind of idea, I feel like what makes it stand out as a romantic comedy, especially versus like romantic comedies today, is that they just are who they are, right? Like mm-hmm. she's a federal marshal. Right. She really loves her job. And that is just who she is. And he is a bank robber. And you know what? He's really good at his job. And he probably can't go straight. And he doesn't try to go straight. He doesn't learn anything. He doesn't change his mind. He's not like, and now I'm going to be a preacher and I'm going to turn my life around because of the love of this one good woman. You know, it's almost like a faded ending, like kind of a Greek tragedy. It sounds like a strong ending, but it's like the ending is who they are. No one has to learn some fucking lesson. Well, I think that we're so used to having romantic comedies be this person's kind of crazy and then this person's kind of crazy and together their craziness works and they'll leave everything behind for each other. And it's just not realistic. Or this guy's a rogue, but if you met the right woman, he's going to be monogamous. I think this is kind of reminiscent of Past Lives. Uh, that movie that is in a lot of Oscar conversation this year, the Greta Lee movie, uh, which I think is so beautiful. And it's about... Chickens it's out a, a bit, though. What? Chickens out a bit. I'll okay. just say that. Okay. I'll, all right. Great. There you there. go. All right. There Chickens you go. Well, well, look, we'll, we'll, all right, <laughs> we'll talk about that another time. But what I would say about it is like, it, at least it shows you there are complications. Like there could be people that you think about and you could be very happy in your life, but you just never... You know, that's that's life, right? That's life there. You know, it's not like you regret it, but it's there could have been something there if it was different. Right. But like when, say, George Clooney's talking about it with Ving Rhames, he's like, I could make this work under normal circumstances. Yeah. Ving Rhames just calls him out like that does not exist. You want to take it to my place, get cleaned up, come out of the bathroom with your aftershave on. Yeah. And she goes, oh, I had you all wrong. No, I just want to talk to her again. That's all. I just want you know, to see what. Might have been like under under normal circumstances. It's too late for that, Jeff. He wants to get out of here, and I don't blame him. And I think that's so funny because it's almost like George Clooney is describing the Hollywood version of how this might work out. Yeah. And Ving Rhames is saying, like, this is not that kind of movie. Whether you're making the same breakfast that you have every day or baking a cake for an extra special day, eggs are a staple in our diets. Eggland's best eggs are nutritionally superior to ordinary eggs, containing more vitamins and 25% less saturated fat. Not only are they better for you, but Eggland's best eggs taste better too. There's a reason that they're America's number one eggs. Visit egglandsbest.com for additional information and delicious recipes. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. Now, 
Now, I wanted to talk about Elmore Leonard for one second, because I, I think the way Elmore Leonard approaches writing is similar to the way that Soderbergh approaches directing. So I'm going to read you this quote about Elmore Leonard, and I want you to think about it and put it through the lens of, is this how Steven Soderbergh approaches directing? So when asked about his writing, you know, how do you, how do you write your prose? He goes, first of all, I'm always writing from a point of view. I decide what the purpose of the scene is, or at least begin with some purpose. And even more important, from whose point of view is this scene seen? Because then the narrative will take on the sound of that person who is seeing that scene. And from his dialogue, that's what goes somewhat into the narrative. And then I start to write and think, okay, upon entering the room, and I know I don't want to say upon entering the room, I don't want my writing to sound like the way we were taught to write because I don't want you to be aware of my writing. I don't have the language. I just have to rely on my characters. I mean, what you're describing is like thoughtful, sparse. I trust in my readers to figure out that somebody walked into the room. Yeah, I stand back and let you pull things out. And I think that's what's so interesting about this movie because you can see this film and it is a two-hander. You get to see Karen's life. You get to see uh, Clooney's life. You get to see them from all their flaws. You get to, you understand them really fully. And I think it would, What's so great about that is when they do get together in Detroit, in that like moment in the bar, you feel all the mixed emotions of it. It's it is a complicated hookup. It's exciting, but it's complicated. There's a weight to that moment that's so great. And I don't think you could have achieved that unless Soderbergh really, really switched perspectives from each character. Like I felt like we're getting a Karen Sisko movie and we're getting a Foley movie. Like we're going back and forth between two of them. And I think that like, he's not making it a Soderbergh movie as much as he's like elevating these characters. Maybe I'm putting too much there, but that's the way I kind of view it. It feels very much like we go back and forth into different worlds. Well, yeah. I mean, when you're thinking about like that sex scene, for example, it's fascinating because it's layered with a few things. Like they're having on the one hand, they're like having this conversation at the bar at the hotel. But then as they're talking, we're going forward into the future of them also being in the hotel room. So it's like they're in kind of both places at the same time. Yeah. And they're having the conversation only in the bar. And when they're in the room, they're not talking at all. Like the room is actually just quiet, but it seems like they're talking because there's voices over it, but they're not moving their lips. It's just them smiling and taking off their clothes and us not seeing any nudity at all. But it feeling so sexy feeling so suggestive feeling so intimate because they're having these like actual conversations it's weird it's like if you were in that scene with them when it was either talking completely or when it was like them silent boning preparing to bone it would almost feel like you're barging in right Mm -hmm. or like spying a little bit too much it would seem a little more awkward to be there but having it be layered like that it's like kind of almost in the world of like dream reverie like maybe they're imagining one while they're in the other one how is the timeline all working out i mean the way that stoderberg described it is he's like i want to make films that feel kind of like what it feels like in your brain you know like when you're walking down the street you're thinking about something that somebody said to you yesterday and like all these things are happening simultaneously in your head as you're looking at the don't walk sign and like that's what's happening in this like love scene i love that is so present throughout this movie because you know the trunk scene the famous trunk scene which is I think what people probably most remember from this film where Clooney and Jennifer Lopez are in this trunk and it's there 
you know, quote unquote, meet cute. You know, they're, they are forced in this situation. I love this moment where he's like, you don't seem scared. And she's like, I am. And he's like, what am I going to do? I'm not going to yell about it. Like I, I, she, she understands the moment and it, there's a tension to this moment. And that scene originally was shot as a oneer of just them in the trunk and audiences hated that they just were not into it and what becomes the scene which is something that they they reshoot after the movie is made is this very ethereal we're in we're out we're on hands we're over here we're hearing sirens we don't really even know how long they've been in the car right it feels like a lot of time has passed but we also feel like more intimate within it it starts to just blur and this whole movie does this and there's a part of it where it feels like I'm telling you the story. I'm telling you the story about what happened. And I could tell that story from her point of view or his point of view. Oh, yeah, we laughed about network. He forgot who the character was. Oh, you know, it's like we're not remembering every detail of that conversation, every moment, but we're remembering a sensation, a touch, a look, a awkwardness. What I think is so funny is you realize that um, this movie, the bookends of it were supposed to be Glenn, Steve Zahn's character, this movie is supposed to open up with Steve Zahn positioning himself as like the hero of this story. Like, let me tell you about my adventure. And, you know, he's telling the story to this other person. I love that because that's what it, this movie does feel like. It's like, oh, I'm going to go over here for a second. Oh, wait, you know what? Before I get there, two years ago, we were back at Lompoc. Okay, now we're back in. Oh, and you know what? I actually did go for that interview and he tried to make him a security guard. Like, it's like, it's got those asides where you're like over here for like it it feels like that conversation i think it would have been great to have steve zahn narrate this movie as like the steve zahn movie but i feel like that maybe even feels a little bit more like an indie film than it does a a major motion picture (laughs) it does but they i mean like this is the scene that they use when they're auditioning the people to play with him with clooney yeah they were having all the actresses come in and do like this trunk scene because it's so pivotal it was weird. The way Steven Soderbergh describes it, I think he's not aware how creepy it sounds. He, he makes it sound creepier than I think it was. He's like, Clooney sure had a squeaky couch and all these actresses were getting on it. And you're like, whoa, okay. But he was like making them lie on the couch. And then they were lying kind of spooning on the couch and doing the scene together. And then Jennifer Lopez comes in. And like what just popped about her was that Soderbergh said he could see that Clooney was different with her than he was with everybody else. Like, there was just some sort of, I don't know if it's that she was as strong or stronger than he was in there, that she was like not afraid of him, whatever it was, there was just like this tension between the two of them that was like super, super, super electric, not nervous, just like, whoa. By the way, I mean, they're talking about so many movies that we covered in season one of Unspooled, you know, Network. Oh, yeah, uh, I was yeah, thinking about yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but like this Clyde Barrow bit did make me laugh. You must really see yourself as some kind of Clyde Barrow, huh? You mean a body inclined? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. The part in the movie where they get shot when it's uh, Warren Beatty and... Uh, 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 Faye Dunaway. Yeah. I like her in that movie about TV. Network, yeah, yeah. she was good. Yeah. That guy who says he's not going to take any more shit from anybody. Peter Finch. Yeah, Peter Finch. I'm taking, uh, uh, mad as hell, and I'm not going to take any more of your shit. That made me laugh so much because one of the things I really remember about our episode is all of the talk about Clyde Barrow being impotent. So the fact that this is like the sexy scene, but it's also 
her likening him to a guy who maybe will never get to actually consummate their love the way that he did not get to do with his own Bonnie. Little extra level, little extra level. Wow, I didn't even put that together. All right. Oh, yeah. Oh, and by the way, while we're talking about things that we covered that are sort of covered here, that are sort of touched on here, did you know that Elmore Leonard did not write this movie, but he did write the script for High Noon Part 2, a movie called High Noon Part 2? I did not know that. He did. I mean, okay, so in High Noon, it ended with like Gary Cooper dropping his star, his little sheriff star, like Mm -hmm. in the sand at the end of the movie. At the end of High Noon 2, he picks it back up. Hell yeah! <laughs> That's what I want to see. <laughs> Sandra Bullock was one of the women who auditioned on that casting couch. And Soderbergh is like, oh, they're amazing together. They shouldn't do this movie together. They should do something else. Because their chemistry wasn't an Elmore Leonard chemistry that like you need the right tone and she is the right tone because she's fucking tough as nails when she shoots that shotgun i love that scene when she's sitting in the car and you see her eyes pop open when she sees the escape happening and the way that she moves into action the way that she keeps that gun on clooney as he's approaching even though he's in the you know the the prison guard uniform like like i'm i'm behind her like she's just tough and and to me, the, the truly frightening scene in this movie is with Don Cheadle's like brother-in-law, that guy. Uh, oh, yeah, Bert. Kenneth. Kenneth. Holy shit. You know your divisions, huh? But you like the fights? You like the rough stuff? Yeah, I bet you do. You like to get out and tussle a little bit? Like me and Tuffy before she got run over. We used to get down on the floor and tussle all the time. I said to her, you're a good bitch, Tuffy. Here's a treat for you. And I give Tuffy what all good bitches love best. And you know what that is? You know what that is? A bone. I'll give you a good bone too, girl. You're not my type. <laughs> no, that shit don't mean nothing to me. I let the monster out, you're gonna do what it wants. The Detroit shit is brutal. And that scene in particular... And the payoff of Kenneth and what he's doing to the the woman in the house at the end is rough. It's rough to watch, but only Jennifer Lopez, I think, could pull off that scene. And no offense to Sandra Bullock, but I believe that Jennifer Lopez has that fucking thing in her bag and could beat the shit out of that guy. Like, there is no moment where I don't think that she is that powerful. And I know everything about Jennifer Lopez. Well, not everything, but like, you know what I'm saying? I understand her in the zeitgeist of the world. And I see her as a fashion model and you know, everything, but you know that she can fucking throw down. Yeah. From the block. Yeah. Jenny from the block. Someday she will write the song to prove it. But it's like, even in her interviews at this moment in her acting career, she is almost too unafraid of like making enemies. Like there's this movie line interview that she does in the build up to the promotion of this film that comes out before, where the movie line interviewer is like asking her what she thinks of all of like the other actresses of her generation right now. And right. she basically just trashes all of them. All wow. of them. She's like, Gwyneth Paltrow don't really know her, what she's been in. Winona Ryder, everybody thinks she's cute. I don't know. Madonna cannot act. Like just check, check, check. Going through every single, Cameron Diaz, just a model. I don't know if she's going to figure it out. Not holding her tongue in the slightest in a way that just made everybody be like, oh, my God, who is this person? Well, don't you also think there's an element to this at play where I know right now, culturally, we're talking a lot about 
representation, giving people a voice that haven't had a voice. And all those actresses of her generation, for the most part, are young white women, you know, and then there's older white women, right? So I understand on some level looking around and being like, yeah, they don't mean shit to me. That is different. That is something that is not the same as far as a movie star. And you see it right now. Her new movie is coming out. People are, ooh. And and by the way, she's been on TV for years doing that NBC show. Oh, yeah. And she's... She's got to fight because being different is like what people are singling out about her. I mean, like one of the reviews of this movie just wrote like this was a sentence. Lopez, comma, whose spectacular ass juts out expressively, comma. You're just like, Mm. Jesus Christ. Her ass is a big deal. Yeah, I remember. that. Yeah, it's such a big deal. As a as a young woman of the 90s, it's like one of the most pivotal things in my life is Jennifer Lopez's ass. Like I, I just have to say that out loud because she was like. A healthy woman who wasn't scrawny in the way like all the other models of that moment were really, really scrawny. Like this is like right in the Kate Moss era. And, you know, being a young girl looking at models like Kate Moss is soul destroying. Um, And then Jennifer Lopez, who has flesh on her body and looks strong, like looks like she can do push-ups, like has a completely different physical body, just finally looked like somebody I, I would know in person. Do you know what I mean? Yes. And I'm going to say something that sounds crazy and I hope that is taken in the right way. I know that like Adam Driver got some, like people really rallied around him when like that reporter called him ugly. Right. Did you see that interview? And I think what that reporter was trying to do, not to defend that reporter, because I love, by the way, I love Adam Driver and I love him in interviews. He's great. But I think Adam Driver and Jennifer Lopez are bringing something that's similar in a way, which is. They just look different. They look a little bit more real. Well, right. Like Clooney had gray hair when he became famous, right? Right. Yeah. Which wasn't normal for being a 37-year-old man. And I think also got a bunch of strange headlines. They just shook the mold a little bit. I mean, Clooney is getting named Sexiest Man Alive while they are making this movie. Like while they are making this movie and getting royally clowned on for it. You know, like Soderbergh makes t-shirts with like Clooney's baby picture on it and is like sexiest man alive and handing them out to people. Um, It's like, it almost sounds weird in the year of our Lord right now to like look back and be like, these people revolutionize how you could look on screen because now you look at them and they're just like completely normal and stunningly gorgeous. Yes. But the fact that they were weird in the 90s says so much about the 90s, right? That's, I think that's what it is. It's like, there is something about it where it doesn't feel... Like you're watching an actor put on clothes. That's production design too. I think across the board, this movie has amazing production design. Like yeah, going that to football the football shirt is great. I love it. I mean, I like even I'm thinking about the state theater scene where they go to the boxing. I performed at the state theater a couple months ago, and it was awesome to see it on the big screen and how much that town has changed uh, as well. I love Detroit. It doesn't feel like Hollywood dressing up convicts and gangsters and cops. Not everyone's shot super softly. There's really funny moments. I mean, I love the fact that they have Clooney's headshot, which is actually stolen from um, the vampire movie from Dust Till Dawn. You know, and she's like, he looks nothing like that. Um, <laughs> but you get the fact that three guys would try to go up to it at a bar, right? Like, you, like it's not trying to hide it. Like, oh, she's just a normal person. Like, yeah, she's attractive. She's kick-ass. She knows she's hot. Like, yeah. And yeah, guys hit on her all the time. And I love that scene where the guys are hitting her at the bar because you get to see... Her be like, no, 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 like not interested. 
Like I have my type that I like. And you get to see how clumsy they are. I, I want to play one of them because this one just makes me laugh. Like the guy talking about the tequila. You hear that little voice, like that little pause when he is like, oh, you know, Mexico. Oh. And then he changes it to Hispanic. And you're just like, oh, God. We're all ad guys. Flew in this morning from the Apple, New York. Came in to pitch Hiram Walker Distillery. Little test market campaign for the new margarita mix. It's uh, really pretty interesting. We take this uh, this uh, Mex- uh, Hispanic bandito with his bullet belts and everything and a big chihuahua hat. And he pulls out his six guns. And um, these guys back here. Andy. Really? Who gives a shit? I mean, what a doof. Of oh. course, like George Clooney is good. She's like, yes, that one. Fuck these guys. Absolutely not, you know? But yeah, like, yeah, it's not just like she's a hapless cupcake baker and da da da. Yeah. And I think that there's something about it that makes it interesting, which is like she's not into Clooney because she's like horny and desperate, right? She's into him because they have something. Like she's not like just looking to get laid. Um, She's got Michael Keaton for that. (laughs) Right. And oh my gosh, Michael Keaton in this movie. I remember. watching this movie and freaking the fuck out because it had been a while since Michael Keaton had done something or at least in my mind he had done something. I think Michael Keaton like Michael Keaton like occasionally takes like a little bit of hiatuses. It feels like it like, or it feels like he just doesn't do stuff you watch and then he's like and now I've done Birdman. Yeah. Yeah and it's like like so there was something where I felt like seeing him in this role the funniest part of this role to me is his entrance. Just the way that he like saunters in you know, like he's kind of saunters in, like, uh, like he's got like a this like weird swagger yeah. to he's him, like chomping gum, and like her dad's making fun of him because he's wearing a shirt that says FBI, like the yeah. just like okay, great, you have to announce that. And then they're having that whole conversation that feels like one of the weird, just like sub dynamics of this movie, where they're talking about like why do women wind up with horrible men? You know, they're describing like yeah. this tabloid case of like a woman who found out she was sleeping with a murderer. So she's a married woman, but she goes to bed with a prison escapee because he tells her that he misses his little girl. She tells the world about it, but you protect her. You don't reveal her name. Well, that makes it sound like what she was doing was okay as long as her husband doesn't find out about it. Like the guy who cheats on his wife saying what she doesn't know won't bother her. Dad. What? I mean, weirdly, what I feel like is one of the things happening in this movie is when it's not a conversation directly about the plot, like two times out of three, the people are going to be talking about women with bad tasted men. Like there's this whole kind of dynamic in here where it's like there are guys who will rape and murder you. And then there's George Clooney. And it's all like he's always just being contrasted against horrible rapists and like murderers. Every, Every other guy seems bad. But what I love about it, too, is, like, she's not trying to defend him. Like, at a certain point when Dennis Farina... Oh, I love a Dennis Farina. I mean, this cast is fucking the best. It's ridiculous. I mean, when it's Viola just Davis like, shows up, you're just like, what? I My jaw dropped when I saw her last night. I was like, oh! Um, Wait, I forgot but, it was her. Hey, you say your dog was killed? Got run over by a car. How'd you call him? It was a she named Tuffy. I love... I mean, that, that scene. Oh, I love that scene. I just think that, like... What I like about Karen Sisko is she's not giving him slack. She's like, yeah, well, he didn't have to rob banks. No one made him rob banks. She's not buying into his story if things were different. Like, she knows you're a criminal. You're not a killer, but you're a criminal. And you may not use a gun before, 
but you're a criminal and you might have done something good there and save that woman from being raped, but you're a fucking criminal. You're robbing someone's house. Like case closed, done. You're a criminal. Like that. Yeah. And like it's it doesn't like, end with her kissing him. It's like maybe you can be a better person if you get out and work on yourself. Maybe. And by the way, that's what Albert Brooks is saying too. Albert Brooks is like, yeah, you're a fucking criminal. Put in some time, make something of yourself, and then there will be more. He had an opportunity to change, but he didn't want it. He wanted something right away. Like he didn't earn that. He didn't earn these things. And I think that, like, from a character point of view, that's really interesting about Foley. Foley doesn't want to wait. He wants to do these small banks. He's not robbing banks and getting out millions and millions of dollars. He's doing quick, quick bank robs, doing little things, dumb things. Impulsive things. Impulsive things. Jennifer Lopez is a smart character because she knows what we, the audience, know, which is like, he will never change. Done. It's done. We know he's never going to change. He's not going to change for a woman. He's not going to change for I anything. I alone can fix him. I can fix him. Yeah. She doesn't want to fix him. <laughs> yeah. But, but I love that scene that you're talking about, though, with like him and Albert Brooks with like Ripley. You're a bank robber. It's not a very marketable skill. We don't see a lot of old bank robbers walking around with a pension plan, now do we? I think you know this. That's why you're here. <sighs> Today I've offered you a lousy job with a lousy wage. You want something better? Why don't you show me you can change? Then I'll offer you something better, a lot better. But until then, my friend, you'll have to earn it. How, Dick, the way you earn it? Married some rich broad owns a company, selling off a piece of time and divorcing her. Is this, this new Rocky pull yourself up by the bootstraps bullshit? I mean, that is a scene that Elmer Leonard also hated, you know, because in his book, like Ripley was just this guy who's sort of off in the margins. He wasn't yeah. supposed to be like there on screen. The way you were describing it made me realize like, oh, I just watched that scene in the most superficial way. I was like, yeah, you stick it to that billionaire, <laughs> you know? Right. Yeah, yeah. And not really thinking, oh, this is also a criticism of, of George Clooney because he's so convincing to me and I hate billionaires. So I was just like, yeah, yeah, stick it to him, stick it to him. They're evil. And I didn't even think about like, could he have made a different decision? Because this is the decision that starts the whole thing off, even if we don't even understand it at the beginning. You know, this movie starts with like funky songs and then the freeze frame of Clooney throwing something, which we don't even really realize is his tie for like right. a bit because he's just come from this interview. But that's why he's so angry. That starts everything. I saw it as like a noble rejection. And now I'm thinking, oh, maybe he is also just lazy. Can we talk, though, about how good his suit is in that scene? I mean, my God, he shows up and he's got this gray suit with red lining. Oh, and it's I like you it. only see the red lining when he moves in a certain way. And my God, that is like beautiful costume design. It's like he looks like a normal guy from this direction. But when he's angry, you can see that he is fabulous and weird and different and eccentric than everybody else. And he's not talking and he's going into that bank and he is using all of his charm on that bank teller who is just so good in the scene. It's your first time being around? You're doing great. Just smile, Loretta, so you don't look like you're being held up. you got a very pretty smile. The 20s, you the 20s, I'll take those. She plays that scene so well. I looked and she doesn't really have that many... Other roles, I thought, oh, wow, I would love to see her kind of explode out of this, too. I mean, the casting in this is so amazing. And I love, and what a great way to open the film. What a great way. Like, you're getting the full-on just 
Clooney charm. Like at the end of that interaction, when he's like, you have a nice day. And she goes, you too. Just like that reflexive, like, well, I must be nice to this man because he's so nice and charming. I went on this like dark dive, by the way. There's like guys who do those. Maybe they're, maybe they're sus. I don't know. Um, Channels about like how to have charisma. And they have like a whole one on like George Clooney's charisma, which I just, I watched the whole thing because it's like, here's how Clooney works. They're explaining. Whether you're walking into an interview, a workplace meeting, or a bar, for the first 10 to 20 seconds of any new interaction in a new place, rather than worrying about what to say next, focus on setting the tone. Now, you can go really high energy like a Will Smith with huge gestures greeting everyone loudly, or you can go for the more subdued Clooney charm by taking time to make yourself comfortable and then greeting others with a smile. Now, if it's not already clear, the energy that George tends to create is one of comfort, and this extends to how he situates himself physically. Watch how the interviewer here laughs incredibly easy at George's jokes, and it's largely because he is priming her to do so by showing signs of laughter in his own eyes. In the same way that other people laughing can make you crack up for no apparent reason, seeing laughing eyes can do the same without you even realizing. Just watch. Have you ever been to Washington, (laughs) D.C.? Yes. They are almost identical. You know, they always say it's Washington is Hollywood for ugly people. It's like Hollywood with big marble props. It's a very presidential thing I think he has. Like, I think, you know, big leaders sometimes have that thing where it's like they just, you're just excited they're giving you some attention. Exactly. And like he does that so perfectly in this movie. And what's funny is like so many of the commercials he does outside of his movie career business, to me, they just feel like they're doing versions of George Clooney and Out of Sight again. Like when you watch his old commercials, he has so many commercials that are basically like, hey, you just happen to run into George Clooney, the sexiest man alive. And like you got drunk and like married him and didn't know it. And now you just woke up and here he is in your room. Well, hey there. I was letting you sleep. Like your dress looks better off than on. (laughs) Or it's like, hey, you just traded bags with like somebody else. And it, oh no, it's George Clooney. And look how sexy he is. This is for Nespresso. And it's just like, here's another life that could have been with George Clooney. Miss Valudon. That's incredible. I know. I always imagined you to be much more... Taller. No, no, um, much more... Ristretto. Good night, Mr. Decaffeinato. This is like potent screen magic that I don't think a lot of people have. And it's just so much in this part. And you can really see how it launches his career. Like for real, for real launches. Not like ER phony launches, but is like in all the interviews at this point, people are like, he looks like Cary Grant. He looks like Clark Gable. And he hasn't done those movies yet. And now he kind of has. I mean, this is like... Cary Grant and To Catch a Thief. That Have you seen To Catch a Thief? Oh, yeah. I love it. Oh, it's like that. This is To Catch a Thiefian, which is a, oh, I know we're like so full up on Hitchcock, but that movie is really good. I know. I really love that movie. Whether you're making the same breakfast that you have every day or baking a cake for an extra special day, eggs are a staple in our diets. Eggland's best eggs are nutritionally superior to ordinary eggs, containing more vitamins and 25% less saturated fat. Not only are they better for you, but Eggland's best eggs taste better too. There's a reason that they're America's number one eggs. Visit egglandsbest.com for additional information and delicious recipes. Life is a highway. 
and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. The other thing that I think about, though, too, you're talking about this, this charm. Everybody in this movie is charming. I mean, I want to just talk about Zahn and Cheadle and even Rames, you know, all all three of them. But like you're immediately when you meet Steve Zahn, like you're like, OK, I like this guy. I, whatever it is, like he's coming out with the sunglasses. There's a goofiness to him. And it's kind of broader than everybody else that we've seen. But the movie has this kind of like they hit hard jokes, like, you know, whether it's uh white boy Bob or whatever, getting his head shot off. It's like, I don't know. I just love meeting him and all of a sudden you're like oh i like this guy i want to know more about this guy i'm in on him he's like he's a different type of convict and then the same thing with like cheetle's character like cheetle wasn't even supposed to do this movie um they like called him in as a favor to do the table read and they're like you know what he should do this and cheetle's so good too because he is scary as hell dumb and violent like when he crushes that fish when he gives it to albert brooks it's like there's like something about him where you're like, you don't want to fuck with him. But at the same time, I want to watch him. Whereas his brother-in-law, he is somebody I don't want to spend any time with. So like what you do is you have this cast of characters who are all convicts. They all are bad people. Yeah, there are no good guys in this movie. It's all just different degrees of bad. But each one of them is charming in their own way. They're not putting you off. And I think that that's really important. Yeah, and it's interesting because, like, in scenes where, like, Cheadle is shaking down Albert Brooks and and then Clooney gets involved, like this scene. You got a problem over there, Foldy? Yeah, I got a problem. It's the dumbest fucking shakedown in the history of dumb shakedowns. 500 bucks for a pillow? That's right. It does seem a little high, doesn't it? Shut up, Dick. It's a nice pillow. Bow goose down. But you're still. How much for your company and chow? My company? Come on, man. You know I watch this motherfucker's bat. That bat, how much? That's a C note. You're smart, Ripley. You'll tell this guy to fuck off. Really? Oh, I, I... I don't know. First of all, if he kills you, then he's gonna get nothing. Well, uh, the man don't just have to die, Foley. I mean, he could accidentally hurt himself falling down on something real hard, you know? Like a shiv or my dick. What's so striking about it is, you know, we were talking about how this casting feels believable, you know, and how these people feel believable when we buy them on Mm -hmm. screen. And they're pulling off that believability, even though the dialogue is definitely like 25% better than normal people would probably say in real life. You know, they're not trying to do that grim show reality thing. Right. You know, that grim show, blah, blah, blah. Everybody's like barely talking. Everybody's mean mugging. You know, that mean mugging thing is not even here. Like Clooney's this guy. He's in prison. First thing we see when he's in prison is like him getting his ass completely stomped at basketball, but not in a way where anybody's even being cool beating him. Like nobody looks cool. He's just bad at basketball. You know, it's like kind of neutral bad. He's not getting bullied. He's just not great at basketball. He's not the coolest dude in the world. Which is, uh, you know, again, like them taking down his own thing. Now, I wonder in a way if like he can't keep up. Right. And I feel like that scene is really important because it's showing you like, He's getting old. Right. He's looking at the old inmates. He's getting dunked on. (laughs) Yeah. He can't (laughs) kind of do this. And, you know, I do want to just go back and just say one thing about Isaiah Washington, 
who is uh, the Kenneth character in the movie. Like he is fantastic. And I think is right to not be charming. He doesn't need to be charming. He needs to be fucking scary. Like, and, and I feel like that's Soderbergh knowing like this character you have to not like, because it's the only character that Clooney kills. That's true. Yeah. When he kills him, you are like, Oh, Yes, this guy's fucking dangerous. Like, eh, like, not that we should kill dangerous people. I'm just saying, but like, I think you would feel more conflicted if he killed Cheadle. Oh yeah, you don't want him to kill Cheadle, even though yeah. Cheadle's dies an absolute killer as well, and like scary. hundred percent. I don't feel bad that Jennifer Lopez kills Cheadle. Oh no, you just don't want George Clooney to kill him, right? <laughs> I mean, but even the way he handles violence in this movie, Steven Soderbergh, I think, is interesting because like. Your heart really turns on Cheadle when he forces Steve Zahn to like go murder people with him, right? But yeah. the way that Steven Soderbergh shoots the murder is so fascinating because he doesn't really show you exactly what happens. He keeps it kind of dreamlike. It just seems like this vague nightmare that's happening. Okay, I'll take that. Here you go. Hatchet man. Yeah. Oh, yeah, you Who's that? Yeah, 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 yeah. It's just some fire to that ass. Look here. You want the 45 or the Glock? Glenn. And I love that because I think that is how you do violence that feels almost like it was too horrible to show. You know, that little bit of blood on his costume is just enough. Because it is hard to do violence in a way that doesn't make violence look cool. People were yelling at Pulp Fiction for this. And this feels like a type of violence that makes you be like, that's awful. And I don't even want to know what it was. I would like to see more movies like this from Soderbergh. And we obviously we get that. We get like the Ocean's Eleven and and like Logan Lucky. But what I think he does here is like, it, it really is like a fine line between like an indie film and a studio film and you know oceans 11 why while i love oceans 11 it's not this tone this tone is really really hard to pull off yet it doesn't have that gloss i guess that the oceans movie has where it's like these are movie stars doing giant movie star things there's something that feels really intimate about this Right. And we see and look like I think that he touches on it a little bit in Magic Mike and scenes of Magic Mike. You know, we get this kind of, again, weird world, different guys. I think he does a great job of that. I love Soderbergh. I mean, I love all of the limey and and the informant has a lot of fun stuff in it. You know, Aaron Brockovich, it's I mean, his career is pretty fucking insane. Yeah. I mean, immediately after this, his career is like boom, 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 boom. I mean, and then he like he and Clooney even do Solaris together, which remember we did like the original Russian yes, Solaris. Yeah. I mean, to go from this movie to Solaris is a really fun jump. You know, it makes you really feel like these guys are being like, we took this leap together. We met, we met each other making this movie. Let's like run with it. Let's bring it. But this tone, this specific yeah. tone, I love it. I mean, also, is Jennifer Lopez like the last character we'll ever get who gets to be like, sexy and named Karen. Like, is that name just dead forever? <laughs> you know, it's so funny. It made me not even think of Karen. Oh, she's like reclaiming Karen. I know. Yeah. Look at that. Again, I'm like getting caught up a little bit right now in the career trajectory of George Clooney at this point now too, because it is like you talk to Steve Zahn and Steve Zahn's like, oh, 
at this point, we couldn't go anywhere. You know, obviously, you said he's the sexiest man alive at this point. You know, he couldn't go anywhere because everyone knew him. I love looking at, like, the movies that he chose after this, like, what his career starts to become. And you see, like, he starts to figure out this middle ground of, like, kind of playing both sides of, like, the big movie star and then doing some interesting, cool stuff. Yeah, and it's weird that I feel like his compass is kind of failing him now. Because, like, I just had to review his new movie that he directed, The Boys in the Boat. And it's just exactly the kind of musty old stuff that, like, you don't understand why he would have ever said yes to doing it in the first place. Like, that doesn't feel like a movie anybody wants to see. If he's using his compass of, like, I want to see this movie, therefore I will do this movie. Who wants to see this, like, chariots of fire style blah, 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 blah. Well, look, I think directing... And acting are very different things because they also feel like he was right on the money when he was like, you know what we need? We need a rom-com again. I'm going to do Ticket to Paradise. And everyone's like, oh, you know, we, we love rom-coms. You know, so I, I feel like, <laughs> oh, you know, I so bad. <laughs> uh, but you know what? It's like it's a rom-com. It's fun. You want to watch I, like I like I was like, I don't give a hell. I want to watch the two of them. Get me get them back on screen as quick as possible. OK, because I diss that, I will at least balance the score but I, I think I, I realized I need to course correct something we said in our Wayne's World episode. We really rhapsodized about that scene where like Wayne and Garth are making fun of product placement and being like Pepsi, new generation, blah, blah, blah. And doing like the little fake ad. Yeah. I forgot that two and a half, three years before that, when he did Return of the Killer Tomatoes in 1988, George Clooney was the character who broke character in that movie to do the product placement. Do you remember that whole little bit? Basically like this entire scene was just picked up and repurposed and put into Wayne's World. How you doing? Just fine. What can I get for you? Well, I'm kind of thirsty. I wonder if you got something I can drink. Kind of thirsty. Yeah. I'll tell you, when I'm thirsty, mm-hmm. I go out and I get myself a Pepsi-Cola. Wow, a Pepsi-Cola. Yeah, you know, it's the choice of a new generation. Well, groovy, groovy, but I'm a little hungry, too. Kind of hungry, I'll tell eat. you. Well, when I get a little hungry, I go out, I pick myself up a Nestle's Crunch Bar. Mm. Yeah, it scrunches when it crunches. Wow, I'd heard that. I'd heard that. Yeah. But I'm also, it's so dry. You're dry. Hot outside, yeah. You're parched. 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 Yeah, yeah, you need a beer, huh? I could use How a beer. about a moose head? A moose head. A moose head. From the north. From the north. Huh? Or a foster. Foster's from the south. Down under, huh? Good day, mate. Hey, Ozer. Hey, Matt. Hey, Chad. How about a crest? Yeah, I gotta talk to you now. Yeah, you need this. Uh, well, I just wanted to correct the fact that I said uh, that Dana Carvey was in Career Opportunities instead of Opportunity Knocks. Uh, <laughs> so there it goes. Well, thank you for that. But justice for Return of the Killer Tomatoes. Yes. And I didn't even realize I saw that movie on USA probably like 900 times as a child. And I guess blacked out of my memory to the point that I didn't ever, ever recognize George Clooney as being in that movie. Oh my gosh. I, I mean, I love George Clooney. I I was a big fan of like One Fine Day. Uh, I think The Peacemaker has some interesting things in it. Like I was rooting for Clooney. You know, you, as you're talking about things that were stolen from other movies, I do think it's worth mentioning that moment where um, Karen shoots Jack at the end, right? He stole the idea of taking out any non-music sounds after Karen shoots Jack because he loved it in To Live and Die in LA. He was like, when I saw a freak and do that, I was like, I want to do that. And the same thing with the the undressing scene. Um, he was like, I just thought, how could we build this tension? And uh, he goes, I stole that from Don't Look Now, uh, where Nick Rogue 
crosscuts to love making scene with Julie Christie and Donald Sutherland getting dressed. And there was an intimacy about it that I thought was really powerful. So I stole it. I love it. And I love his use of like freeze frames too as a oh. device. Because every time he does a tiny freeze frame, it's either like, hey, pay attention to this, but I'll tell you why later. Like Clooney throwing his tie and you're being like, what is he throwing? But it also has this idea, I feel like, of I want to remember this moment in case it never happens again. You know, every time he does a tiny little freeze frame on Jennifer Lopez, it feels like the movie is saying, if this couple never gets back together, I hope they at least have this moment living in their memory. And that scene where they're play acting as characters trying to pick each other up in a bar, but also having a conversation about who they are and this idea of like, recognizing each other, you know, on site, recognizing something you need to know in somebody. You like bourbon? I love it. We got that out of the way. Tell me, Celeste, what do you do for a living? Eh, I'm a sales rep, and I came here to call in a customer, but uh, they gave me a hard time because I'm a girl. Is that how you think of yourself? As a sales rep? As a girl. Yeah, I don't have a problem with it. I like your hair. I like your outfit. Actually, this is my second favorite outfit. I had a first favorite, but it got ruined and oh, I had to get rid of it. You did? It smelled. Really? Having it clean didn't help? No. <laughs> so tell me, Gary, what do you do for How a living? How far do you want to go with this? <sighs> Not yet. Don't say anything yet. I don't think it works for somebody else. I mean, Gary and Celeste, what do they know about anything? <sighs> well, this is your game I've never played before. It's not a game. It's not something you play. Well, does this make any sense to you? It doesn't have to. It's something that happens. It's like seeing someone for the first time. Like you could be passing on the street and, and you look at each other and for a few seconds there's this kind of a, a recognition. Like you both know something. The next moment the person is gone and, and it's too late to do anything about it. And you always remember it because it was there and you let it go and you think to yourself, what if I had stopped? What if I had said something? What if? What if? I mean, that idea of like freeze frames and moments and recognition, it made me go all the way back to, I think a movie that this is either like subconsciously ripping off or deliberately ripping off, which is Citizen Kane. Remember this scene? A fellow remember a lot of things you wouldn't think he'd remember. You take me. One day back in 1896, I was crossing over to Jersey on the ferry. And as we pulled out, there was another ferry pulling in. And on it, there was a girl waiting to get off. A white dress she had on. She was carrying a white parasol. And I only saw her for one second. She didn't see me at all. But I'll bet a month hasn't gone by since that I haven't thought of that girl. I mean, right? Isn't that is what this movie is? I guess you're right. Yeah, it is. I mean, this is a story about like, I'm drunk at a bar with you or we're getting a couple of drinks and you're telling me about like your long lost thing what you could have been you're like it's not like just this moment this like little interesting time i also think that all these things that you're talking about are emphasized and kind of beautifully realized by the music underneath them that was done by dave holmes oh, who i think so is good. the music is so good this soundtrack is so great they have like little audio clips from the movie and i had this in my car for so long um what is this name is it trip hop i never know the name of like these genres yeah. from this little period well i think that like what you would say about this is like it's electronic it's trip hop it's like it has a bunch of different styles to it like big beat it's really fun it's a fun style big beat those are words i haven't heard in so long uh, <laughs> i mean dave holmes i mean he was so much like the sound of the if he was like a dj from ireland and when he got brought onto this and then he did a bunch of soundtracks after this but did you know that he did the music for 
this commercial right here in 2008. Introducing a new iPhone 3G. Yeah, yeah. I mean, stealth tone setter of this decade. I mean, for lack of a better term, it just feels cool. Like that music feels cool. Like that's a, that's a, I'm walking around the street soundtrack to my life kind of cool. It feels like a soundtrack that you would be content if it was your soundtrack. Yeah. Yeah. But it doesn't sound too try hard. I mean, I like the music, especially a lot in the scene where you don't realize it's a fantasy and then you realize it's a fantasy where Jennifer Lopez is wearing like the tightest suit on the planet because like it is her fantasy mm-hmm. that um, that she can work in the tightest suit on the planet and barges into the hotel room and like finds George Clooney in a bath. Karen. Karen, honey. Karen. We're talking in your sleep. I love that music. I mean, that music is like cool. That music is sexy. And you get tipped off that it's a fantasy just because you're like, wait, hold on. I was with you. I was with you in the steam. I was with you in him showering. I was with you in her like magically finding him. But I do not believe that Clooney would have a candle at his bubble bath. Like you've right. gone too far. And now I know that you're faking me out. I know. like, it, But it's fun because you're like, well, maybe this is like what this movie might be. It's too early in the movie to like to totally know for sure. And... And I feel like that's kind of fun about this kind of a film, too. It's like, no, no, that would be the movie version of it. This is the Elmore Leonard version of it. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's also the movie that can get almost a little, like, fetishy when she's, you know, arresting Luis Guzman. And you have that low angle shot of her stepping on him. Like, he's on the mm-hmm. ground handcuffed. And it's like, ba-boom. You know, that definitely feels like other people's fantasies. I love that scene. And I also love how patient she is. Like, she does it the right way like i feel like her movements in this movie as a federal agent are not like john wick they're just like you know textbook like smart you know she's not reckless in anything she does she's actually very specific in every move that she makes yeah and it's kind of nice to see her aligned with her crush's ex-wife you know and not in a way where it's like we're women and we're gonna cat fight it's like she's scoping out the woman who used to be married to the guy that she keeps having these erotic dreams about And also protecting her and, like, forming this tiny allegiance for, like, one scene, which is nice. And, oh, my God, I love Catherine Keener in this movie. Like, even when he calls her for the first time from jail, she has that tiny little, like, neutral flat pause when the jail calls before deciding to, like, accept his call from prison in a way that's not like, yes, I can't wait to talk to him. But it's like, "Eh, I guess so. Why not? You know, and she's like got this weird subplot life of being a magician's assistant, but she keeps getting fired. Oh, I love and he's like, answer. free world. And she's like, what's free about it? <laughs> <laughs> also, by the way, since I'm talking about him being there in prison, can we just say that the prisons in this movie are so summer camp looking? Everybody's just hanging out and watching people <laughs> box. Everybody's just having a good time. Like prison. Okay. Yes, you get stabbed. And yes, you get like a little freeze frame on your face if you get stabbed. But it also, I mean, it looks like high school. Speaking of which, I mean, I don't think we've seen such a, a good representation of high school since Mean Girls, in a way. Like, you you, get, you have all your little areas there. And, you know, as we're talking about Mean Girls, and Mean Girls just came out and was the number one movie at the box office just a couple weeks ago. Maybe we should throw to a clip of Mean Girls, another world in which people have to fight to survive. What the movie does, which I love, is it juxtaposes high school with animals, right? Like Katie looks at this and sees 
animal nature here. And I think there's one moment where, you know, in the film, she wants to literally, you know, fight Regina George, you know, because Regina George sabotaged her chance with this guy. And, you know, in the in the Animal King, she would just jump on him or her and just beat the shit out of her. But in the world that we live in, the civilized world, you have to pretend like, oh, it doesn't bother me. It doesn't, you know, everyone puts on a fake face. And I think there's a part of this film that's like, we we are animals that are constantly trying to hide that we are animals. And because of that, we are creating more tension and, and drama in our lives because we are just not acting sometimes on our natural impulses. And maybe that's not the best way to be, but I do think that there's an element to that where it's like, oh, it just makes more sense. Just fight, get it out. Like, get it, like, you know, like that's what you want, but everyone tries to hide how they're actually feeling. I haven't seen the new Mignos yet. I hear that it's a musical. I'm getting myself ready. But do you think Out of Sight should be a musical? What? No, never. (laughs) Never. Oh, come on. It's already got the music. No, it's the antithesis of musical. No, no, no. Uh, But I will say this. If uh, we want to go down an Elmore Leonard rabbit hole, I will. We talked about this movie a lot behind the scenes, maybe a little bit on the podcast as well. I would love to do Jackie Brown next because it does share Michael Keaton's character, Ray Nicolette. And I don't know. I feel like we're in this kind of crime vibe world. And I just recently rewatched it. And I just love that movie. Oh, I'm excited. Yes, absolutely. A hundred times yes. Yes, let's absolutely do Jackie Brown. All right, let's let's do it. All right, we are going to do Jackie Brown next. You can find Jackie Brown wherever you uh, stream your films or you go to your local public library. You can also check it out there as well. Uh, we're going to have a shirt in the store right now. We haven't made a shirt in a long time. And uh, it's called The Ark of Schwing. You can go to tpublic.com uh, slash stores slash unspooled to find The Ark of Schwing. Because you know what? We talked about Garth last week and I feel like we have a lot of shirts that are really dick jokes, I think, which is oh, odd no. for this show. I think that's how my brain works. Uh, so odd that it does like that. But you know what? Tpublic.com slash stores slash unspooled. Uh, you can still pre-order my book wherever you get your books. Uh, and thank you for doing it if you already have. Uh, oh, you're welcome. I can't wait hey, to read it. Hey, thank you so much. Thank you so much. I appreciate it so much. And if you do buy it early, save that receipt. Amy, I trust you. I don't need to see your receipt, but say that receipt because I'll have some fun stuff uh, starting very shortly. All right, we've done it. We've talked about out of sight. And if you push me right now into like, would this be the Soderbergh I put into outer space? I might say yes. Oh, I'd put it in over Magic Mike. Absolutely. I mean, I like Magic Mike, but it's no no brainer. No brainer. No brainer. Let me ask you this. Best Clooney? Oh, gosh. Maybe. Maybe. Oh, I... No, Oh Brother, but there are so many clones. So I literally was clones. thinking about Oh Brother too. But they're Ooh. really similar, honestly. Like I know. prison escapees. He's got a vibe. He's got a lane. Yeah, a dumb guy vibe. A dumb guy, a dumb, attractive guy vibe. <laughs> Who gets caught up in dumb shit? A big thank you to our producer, Josh Richmond, our associate producer, Jessica Cisneros, our engineer, Casey Holford, and our executive producers, Cody Fisher and Amelia Chapolo, and our MVP molly reynolds our theme song is by michael cassidy and our fan art is by kim troxel follow unspooled on twitter and instagram and join in the conversation about all things unspooled on the paul sheer discord at discord.gg slash paul sheer unspooled t-shirts are available at tpublic.com slash unspooled and you can get a deck of unspooled playing cards and more merch at podswag.com finally See the official API list of unspooled films and more 
about the show at unspooledpod.com. Whether you're making the same breakfast that you have every day or baking a cake for an extra special day, eggs are a staple in our diets. Eggland's best eggs are nutritionally superior to ordinary eggs, containing more vitamins and 25% less saturated fat. Not only are they better for you, but Eggland's best eggs taste better too. There's a reason that they're America's number one eggs. Visit egglandsbest.com for additional information and delicious recipes. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one McCrispie, so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour.